Welcome to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast. My name is Dr. Andrew Trasilla, working for Somerset CCG, and I'm really pleased today to welcome as our guest, Dr. Catherine Patrick, Somerset GP and Director of Primary Care at Yeovil District Hospital. Welcome, Catherine. Thank you, Andrew. Good to see you. And our title is Demystifying the Menopause. So, um, you're our expert today. What is the menopause, please? Right. So by definition, Andrew, the menopause itself is when it has been more than 12 months since your last period. So when your periods have been gone for 12 months, as long as that's for a natural reason. So in other words, it's not because you've got you're having no periods because of a method of contraception, for example. So once you've had 12 months with no periods, you are through the menopause. You are in the menopause. Okay. however, we have what is called the perimenopause. And the perimenopause is when you basically have lots and lots of symptoms, but you can still be having your periods, okay? And what we know is that, which fortunately we know a lot more about the perimenopause now than we did years ago. And if I think back, Andrew, to so when I was a junior doctor, which uh, fair, fair enough was a long time ago now, but when I was a junior doctor, you were taught, well, menopause means a woman's period stop. And she might have a few hot flushes and that's it. Get on with it. But we now fortunately understand a lot more about it. And the perimenopause, I say, you still be having your periods. They may even still be regular for some women, but you will be having a, a, a symptoms associated with the menopause. And this, Andrew, can actually go on for up to 12 years for some women. So I see a lot of ladies who are in their early 40s, mid 40s, and they're saying, well, I've got these symptoms, but can't possibly be menopause because I'm too young and I'm still having periods. So it's really important that we are aware of the perimenopause and what we can do to help women in this situation. It's really helpful. So what sort of symptoms are we thinking about? Is it is it just physical symptoms to do with periods or is it is it psychological issues? Is it other body symptoms? Is it just a few hot flushes or, or, or whatever? I'm sounding like a terrible male here and I do <laughs> because I think it's a really important topic. But I would echo that my medical training 40 years ago, 30 and 40 years ago, really didn't bring out the importance of what we're discussing today. So it's just so great to have you help us understand the topic. Well, that's it, Andrew. Fortunately, we do know so much more about it because symptom-wise, it really is a mixed bag. It can affect so many, so many parts of your life. So yes, there are physical symptoms, but we also know there are symptoms that can affect your mental well-being. So if I look at the physical symptoms to start off with, so we have what's called the vasomotor symptoms. So that's what we basically the posh term for the hot flushes that a lot of women get, and they get night sweats with that. And I mean, I have some ladies who say to me, gosh, you know, I can physically wring out my night dress. I'm absolutely soaking, but tell, you know, I'm just not getting any sleep at all. We know that periods can become irregular, so they don't just stop. Some women, they'll become more frequent. Some women, they'll become less frequent. But you will get often get an irregular pattern. Um, we can get urogenital symptoms. So what do I mean by that? Well, basically, just a fancy way of saying um, problems around the vagina itself, bladder problems. Now, it's important to know that we've got estrogen and progestogen receptors present in the vagina and the bladder and the urethra and in our pelvic floor muscle. Now, what's happening with the menopause 
And these symptoms that we're experiencing is because the level of estrogen falls and it's the fall in estrogen that is bringing about this whole myriad of symptoms. Um, the vaginal epithelium becomes very thin. It can lose its collagen support and its elasticity. And you can end up with um, very, very sore uh, vagina, lots of itching. I see a lot of ladies who feel they're tearing their hair out with this itching. They can have um, pain on intercourse. I also see a lot of ladies who present thinking they've got um, recurrent bladder infections. Now, sometimes they may have infection there, but often it's because they've got this urgency of needing to feel the need to go to the toilet very frequently and difficulties emptying the bladder. Now, we know that 50% of women going through the menopause will experience these urogenital symptoms. And in fact, even 25% of women who are, who are actually taking HRT, Andrew, will still get urogenital symptoms. And there are treatments for this including a topical estrogen cream, okay, that can really, really help out. So that's, you know, a collection of, of the physical symptoms there. But we also know ladies will get often low libido. Um, I see a lot of ladies who have extreme anxiety, real significant anxiety and low mood because of the menopause. And in fact, Andrew, do you know, I've inherited, as a GP, I've inherited a lot of women who've actually gone quite a long way down the road of antidepressants. And in fact, and don't get me wrong, antidepressants can be very useful in the correct situation. But there are some ladies who are offered antidepressants when in fact, possibly HRT, a bit of estrogen, may be more appropriate for them. So, Catherine, what exactly is HRT, hormone replacement therapy? Well, Andrew, as we approach our menopause and we're in the perimenopause, our level of oestrogen is falling and that's what's accounting for all the symptoms. So what we'd like to do with hormone replacement therapy is to replace that oestrogen. Now, if a lady still has her uterus, so in other words, if she's not had a hysterectomy and we give just give her the oestrogen on its own, we run the risk of increasing her chances of developing cancer of the uterus. So what we do in that situation is we give the estrogen to tackle the symptoms and then we give the progestogen hormone to protect the womb, to protect the uterus. Now, HRT can be delivered in via lots and lots of different ways. I mentioned earlier when we were talking about the urogenital symptoms about a topical estrogen cream. Now, that's very good for those symptoms, but the amount that gets into your bloodstream is so tiny, it won't do anything to, to tackle the other symptoms. Now, the estrogen, um, if a lady's had a hysterectomy, we're going to go estrogen only. If she's still got her womb, estrogen and progestogen, and these can be delivered in various formats. So they can be delivered by tablet form, they can be delivered by patch, they can be delivered by gels. And to be honest with you, the individual woman will be, it's really important what is right for her. And I, when I prescribe HRT for my ladies, I always explain it in terms of HRT is built on a rock solid foundation of science, but finding the right form for that individual woman is more of an art. So don't be alarmed if you do start HRT and you feel that within the first couple of months, it's not right for you. It's not working for you. Please do not be alarmed. That is really common. We often have to either tweak the dose of the estrogen that we're giving 
tweak the type of progestogen or tweak the method that you're taking it. So tablet, patch, gel. That's really helpful. So that's demystified exactly what hormone replacement therapy is. We talk about red flags in medicine. We talk about irregular vaginal bleeding at the wrong time. For instance, certainly bleeding after intercourse as being something that we, we ought to be aware of as, as might point to something that needs investigation. Do you want to just spend a few moments saying what the red flags are about, um, about vaginal bleeding? Absolutely. This is so important. This is a really important take home message, Andrew. So when we are starting HRT or when we are tweaking HRT, I always warn my ladies, expect a little bit of irregular bleeding to start off with. But that's here's the important bit, Andrew. That should settle down within a few weeks. OK, so if that is ongoing for more than a month, you need to let your GP know about it. You need to let your doctor know if that is ongoing, okay? Likewise, if a lady has had more than 12 months since her last period, she's not taking HRT at all, and then she develops any form of vaginal bleeding, even a little bit of spotting alone, we always, always want to know about that. You are not wasting our time by telling us as doctors, we really need to know about that because that is something that we call postmenopausal bleeding. And postmenopausal bleeding is a symptom that we need to take seriously because it can sometimes be an indication of endometrial cancer or cancer of the womb. So in rare cases, and, and bleeding after intercourse is still is also important to, to look at? Absolutely. I see an awful lot of ladies of all, all sorts of ages with bleeding after intercourse. And the vast majority, Andrew, it is fine. It isn't anything sinister. But, and here's the but, it is important that we check these ladies out. So it is important that we address their bleeding after intercourse and that we look at it and investigate it before we can say it's, it's fine or not. So always get that addressed as well. That's really interesting, Catherine. I was just in researching for this programme. I talked to a, a, a couple of, 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 of female friends and one said, I'm, and she's a very altogether uh, person, very capable mother of, of several and uh, in her job. Uh, and she said, it was, it was as though I, I had this recurrent feeling of impending doom and really quite marked anxiety. Um, is, is that... Is that common or is she a rarity? Absolutely. So, so common, Andrew. So common. And we need to be talking about this more and more. We need to destigmatize this topic of menopause because we need women to know, you know, you're not alone. A lot of your women have, um, we've got, we, we, I use the term brain fog. Um, the other term I use is loss of nouns. <laughs> you know, how many times... <laughs> Do I see ladies and they say to me, I'll, I'll sit there and I'm talking to my husband and I'll say, pass me the what's it on the thingy-me-jig. What's happening to my brain? You know, I'm a very capable woman. I, I can't find simple words. So this brain fog is, a, is a, a real thing, you know, and it affects so many. As well as, and as well as having the anxiety and the low mood, I, I see a lot of ladies, Andrew, who've got the real... I would describe it as a crisis of confidence. Now, I remember one uh, particular lady I was looking after when I, I was a GP in a different county. 
And this particular lady, she had a really high powered job and she used to travel all around Europe and she could, you know, head up a board meeting, no problem. And I remember sat in my room just in tears saying, Dr. Patrick, I can't even drive to the supermarket. What's happened to me? I'm, I'm a shell of my former self. My confidence is just gone. So we really do need to get out, get the word out there. So confidence can be part of it as well. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And we know that it's the fall in estrogen that is bringing about this whole, let's say, myriad of symptoms. Interesting, because I know some of our listeners will ask the question, is the anxiety and brain fog and the mental symptoms, is it directly caused by chemical changes related to the menopause? Or is it a result of the stress and strain caused by other things and the other symptoms going on or a combination of both? I think it's a combination. If we think about so we know that there's a direct effect on the fall of the estrogen. And if we think about what's happening at this time of life for a lot of women. So for a lot of women, you know, they're juggling work, home children so even simply the the busyness of life and as we know that you know life is far busier for all of us nowadays than it was say 20 30 years ago so that whole juggling um, can, and the stress that can go hand in hand with that can contribute but yes there is also a direct effect of that falling in estrogen i also see women with other physical symptoms such as palpitations um musculoskeletal problems and again you know I mentioned before I've inherited ladies who've gone quite far down the antidepressant route I've actually inherited ladies who've gone quite far down the orthopedic route you know with joint problems and this feeling of I'm just aching all over and it in fact you know replacing that estrogen with HRT can have a really beneficial effect Interesting. What's the earlier stage that um, this, this might happen? Is it is it something that can't happen before you're, let's say, 45 or 48? Or do some people have problems earlier? Well, that's a really, really good question, Andrew, because I would go hark back to when you and I were junior doctors, which was a long time ago. You were told it was pretty much, oh, it's around your 50s, isn't it? Um, move on. Well, what we now know is actually, yes, ladies can can experience the menopause at a very, very early age. Now, we call, we medically, clinically speaking, if a lady goes through the menopause under the age of 45, that is classed as an early menopause. If she is under the age of 40, that is classed as a premature menopause. Now, this is particularly important for these women, Andrew, not only because of, um, you know, the, that whole list of symptoms that I've explained that come hand in hand with the fall in your estrogen level. But one of those, the, the real thing significant for these women is, is their bone health. Because as our estrogen falls, our bone mineral density falls. People may have heard of the terms osteopenia or osteoporosis which is um, when the bones become very thin and you're at more risk of, of a fracture. Um, so for these women particularly, we really need to know about these women because we need to be able to treat them to help not just their symptoms, but also to help protect their bones. Interesting. Thank you. So I think we've covered all the symptoms and signs that people may be having, including the very important fact that it's it's not just about the the physical symptoms, it's the psychological aspects which actually can respond. Going back to my friend I was talking to earlier uh, about this, and she said, as soon as I started HRT, all those feelings of anxiety, loss of confidence and doom went away. It was 
it was it was really quite dramatic. So how would we approach, and I'm going to ask um, two ways, I think there's lifestyle changes that we can make towards better health that may well help him um, help on the menopause, and then there's medical approaches, and and it would be really helpful to talk about the, the benefits and cons of, of, of each. Absolutely. So with lifestyle measures, there is a lot that we could do to help ourselves through this menopause. Now, um, exercise. I, I'm a big, personally, I'm a big fan of exercise. Now, it's not rocket science, is that most doctors on the planet will say you should exercise because it's good for you. But I'd just like to talk a bit more about how it's good specifically for menopausal symptoms. Okay. So when we exercise, we are increasing our muscle mass. Thereby doing so, we're increasing our metabolic rate. So as the estrogen falls, your metabolic rate will be falling. And that's why a lot of women gain weight in, when they're going through the perimenopause, menopause. Okay, And it's classically, that's apple shape. You know, they say talk about the middle age spread around the middle. So when you're, as you're exercising, not only are you burning calories during that exercise, but you're actually also increasing your muscle mass, which will keep your metabolic rate higher um, throughout the rest of the day. It will also, do you remember I mentioned earlier about the fall in estrogen and how that can cause thinning of the bones or contribute towards that? Well, if we're doing weight-bearing exercise, that is really, really helpful in increasing your bone mineral density. So you help you're doing something else to help protect your bones. Exercise will also increase the feel-good hormones in the brain. So the serotonin I mentioned earlier about antidepressants. Effectively, the feel-good hormone that the antidepressants are trying to replace, your, own, your body can do itself naturally through exercise. Now, I'm not suggesting, Andrew, that we try and go out and make everybody the next Mo Farah. You know, if you look at the research and exercise, what do we mean by that? What we're talking about, and certainly in terms of getting benefit from the menopause, is half an hour, five times a week. So if you say, Monday to Friday, I'm going to go into a power walk. I'm going to hook up with one of my friends and we're going to have that half hour, you know, motivate each other to do it. The, the, the significant benefit from that is huge. It is also been shown to be very protective from the point of view of breast cancer as well. Um, I get asked a lot about breast cancer and the associated risks with HRT. And this is largely because there was uh, there have been studies done in the past that have shown HRT can be very bad for you because, oh, my goodness, it causes breast cancer. It's terrible. And actually, we now know that those studies, in, I mean, I'm going back decades now, were actually very flawed. And thank goodness we have much more up to date research now. Now, what we know, are you happy if I talk to you a little bit about breast cancer? I think that would be really helpful. I want to come back to, well, can I just say about exercise? We've yeah. been talking about exercise and um, uh, exercise is a word that frightens some of us. So could we just say activity? And I think that half hour power walk is so useful. I think any time outside uh, in nature is great. And we've talked about this on previous podcasts. Um, doing it with a buddy or with a friend is a good way of making it easier. And if you live in a house with stairs, Try going upstairs more frequently. Uh, I'm not suggesting that if you've got a washing basket you're taking upstairs that you take up the items <laughs> one at a time, but 
taking your height vertically up actually uses far more calories than you might ever realize. So um, activity is the key. Um, exercise conjures up thoughts of lycra and, um, yeah. and, and, <laughs> and other, other people do that. So exercise, activity is what our muscles were designed for over hundreds of thousands and millions of years. So coming back to HRT, so the, the, the teaching, as you so rightly say, um, we were taught about HRT 40 years ago. About 30 years ago, Women's Health Study from the States and others came out saying, we think there is a problem. Please just help us demystify that and, and help, help talk about the safety of it now. Well, that's, there's been a lot more research since then, thank goodness. Now, when I talk to ladies about HRT, um, probably one of the most frequently asked questions is, Dr. Patrick, will I get breast cancer? Is this going to increase my risk of breast cancer? And I like to be able to put this into context. It's really important we look at it in context. Now, it's no good me saying to a lady, well, it will increase your risk, but it will increase it from a little bit to a tiny bit more than a little bit. What does that mean? That's really difficult to make an informed decision based on that. So let's look at some figures, okay? Now, if we were to follow a group of women between the age of 50 and 59, let's take a thousand women between 50 and 59, and let's follow them for the next five years. As a background level, 23 of those women will develop breast cancer, purely because that's life. That's the background risk. Now, if we take those same women, same thousand women, and we're going to follow them for the next five years, but this time we're going to give them all HRT, we will see an additional four cases of breast cancer per thousand. Let's look at it in context. Let's take the same thousand women, follow them for five years, but this time, instead of giving them HRT, we're going to give them a glass of wine a day, so two units of alcohol a day. We now see an extra five cases of breast cancer per thousand. So you're at a higher risk from having a glass of wine a day than you are from taking HRT. Let's take these women now, same thousand women, and this time, instead of giving them a glass of wine or instead of giving them HRT, we are now going to make them all obese. Now let's look what happens to that risk. We now see an increase in 20 to 30 cases per thousand Gosh. of breast cancer. Crikey purely from the risk of obesity. So that's huge, isn't it? So you're going from 23 cases in a 1,000 to, well, more than double that. More than double that, simply by being obese. And that's BMI above 30 or above yes. 35 or above 30. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's quite scary. Thank you very much. It is, much. isn't yeah. it? Yes. And yes. the exercise that I mentioned earlier, again, the reason why I'm so one of the many reasons I'm such a fan is if let's take those thousand women again and let's follow them again for five years. But this time we're going to ask them all to go and do some activity for two and a half hours a week. So half an hour, Monday to Friday. Do you know, Andrew, we will see seven fewer cases of breast cancer per thousand over that period. Really? So our background risk will go from 23 per thousand to 16 per thousand purely by by exercising regularly, taking regular activity. How interesting. That's really helpful to hear it, it put in such a, a, a thoughtful and compelling way because we see these statistics written down and it, it doesn't really always make sense. So thank you very much for giving us those images. Um, thinking about other approaches, we'll, we'll come on to nutrition and, and, and food later, if we may, but how about CBT for any of the 
uh, emotional aspects, uh, not instead of HRT, but as an add-on? Yes, there is a lot of research that supports CBT is, is particularly helpful. Absolutely. Definitely. I would I would recommend that. So that's cognitive behavioural therapy. Yes, if people sorry, yes, if people are struggling with with the anxiety yep. and the low mood side of of, HR, of of menopause, then absolutely, I'd recommend CBT. So medication first, and then um, cognitive behavioural therapy, which we can access through Somerset Talking Therapies and and other ways to help us with that. Thank or you. for some women, if if HRT is not appropriate for those because of specific contraindications, then then CBT would yes. I would go. Thank you. And in Somerset, people can access CBT through open mental health by calling Mindline uh, or can self-refer to talking therapies through their website. And Mindline, if I remember, is uh, 01823 276892. I hope I'm right on that, David. Um, So um, thinking about nutritional approaches and lifestyle uh, approaches, something that we used to say was that if you get... um, if you're getting hot flushes, then then coffee and tea contribute to that, and alcohol contribute to that. Is that true? Is it is it is it fiction? Is it a fantasy? It's true, actually, absolutely. So, uh, caffeine, spicy foods, alcohol can all trigger hot flushes. So, absolutely, it is best to, to steer clear everything in moderation. Uh, but uh, you may find those are particular triggers. Absolutely, uh, smoking as well. We also know, and again. You know, pretty much every doctor on the planet will tell you smoking is bad for you. Everybody knows that. Again, it's not rocket science, but we do know there is a direct effect on smoking in triggering hot flushes as well. Thank you. And um, we, we see dietary changes and we've had 40 or 50 years of saying high carbohydrate, low fat. Is there any evidence that actually eating less carbohydrate and making sure that we have enough omega-3 fatty acids and 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 that sort of balance is is helpful or can you just eat whatever you like absolutely agree with you on that lower lower carb approach there andrew uh, i remember for well absolutely self as junior doctors a long time ago you know yes have, have as much carbohydrate as you like as long as you don't eat any fat and um obviously more research more enlightenment on the topic now we do see, remember I mentioned earlier about the weight gain with menopause, your estrogen is falling, your metabolic rate is falling, and often there is a degree of insulin resistance in that, which basically is why ladies often will get this apple shape, this middle-aged spread. So yes. low carbohydrate is, um, is really helpful in tackling that. And I do have um, a link which I'll be able to share with the listeners, um, Andrew, about um, dietary advice for the menopause. Lovely. Well, we'll put it in the uh, link afterwards. But are there any websites that you want to particularly mention before we go on? Is, have you got that? Yes, link? please. Um, I've got, a, I've got a, a number of uh, reputable websites which I'd really like to share with, with yes. the listeners. Uh, the British Menopause Society, so that's vbms.org.uk, fantastic, really, really helpful website. Um, menopausematters.co.uk is another favourite of mine as well. Yes, thank you very much. Um, and just still on nutrition and diet, um, fruit, vegetables, um, fi- vegetable fibre, what, what's, what's going on there? What, is that important or not? Well, again, we used, to, you know, it's quite interesting, isn't it, that fruit and veg are still classed together. We, we all do it. We all say it. Don't you eat your fruit and veg, eat your five a day. 
Um, fruit and veg are actually very different, aren't they? Because we can have a lot of fruit that is actually incredibly um, high in sugar content and high carbohydrate value. Whereas vegetables, pretty much as, as, a, as a friend of mine, good friend of mine who is uh, a lead in diabetes care and in the, uh, nationally, as he, he sums it up by saying, if it grows above the ground, if it's a vegetable that grows above the ground, it, it's particularly good for you. Right. <laughs> right. Excellent. Thank you. And um, still on nutrition, um, there's, there used to be a great herbal tradition. In 1945, 75% of the GP's prescriptions were actually herbal rather than pharmaceutical because the pharmaceutical industry hadn't developed to the, to the state that it is now. Are there any herbs that can particularly help if people um, want to use those as well as HRT or indeed if, if people actually would prefer not to use HRT? So there are, there are some herbs out, particularly black cohosh, the difficulty that we find is just in terms of they're not as regulated as, as traditional medicines. So, for example, if you went to one particular shop to buy your black cohosh product, it may be, have a very different content from if you were to go to the next shop down the road. So that's where it gets a little bit tricky. But if you were to go to a health food shop and actually consult um, one of the trained staff, um, rather than simply just picking something off the shelf in Tesco, then then that would be that would be helpful. Thank you. And um, sage is said to be traditional. Sage tea um, is said to be a traditional help, and a number of people find that helpful for symptoms. Yes. Uh, yeah. There, there may be other herbs. I'm I'm not sure which ones there there could be useful. Uh, absolutely, and you know the herbal side isn't a special. Um, I'm not an expert in in the in that area. But uh, certainly, I think what's important to note is that, yes, HRT is there, but there are also a lot of other non-prescription ways that we can help ourselves here. And we make assumptions about people, and we, we, we tend to make awkward assumptions sometimes that everybody's like us or the same as us. Um, we know there's, that neurodiversity is important. And it's, does the menopause, for instance, affect people who are living with autism differently or does it affect any other particular groups of people in different ways well we know it can do because we understand now fortunately we understand now that it, the effect on mental well-being is so significant it is not your case if you have a few heart flushes please get on with it it really really can change people's lives you know and and having the correct treatment and the correct support through the, the perimenopause and the menopause can be an absolute game changer. It can really turn people's lives around. That's really helpful. And just thinking how, how I might um, identify um, um, the first of the start of menopausal symptoms when I'm still having regular periods. Um, does family history make a difference? If I've got sisters or mother, if they had a particularly early menopause or they had a particularly late menopause, is does that or are we just individual and it's it's the luck of the draw? Well, to an element, it is the luck of the draw. But if you do have a family history of either early menopause or premature menopause, then yes, you are you are at a slightly higher risk of experiencing that earlier in life yourself. So it's important to be aware of family history. Absolutely. Thank you, Catherine. This has been a really useful discussion about such an important topic for for many people. Um, I'm sure lots of people will have questions for their own doctors for the NHS website uh, and also for you having listened to you. Um, 
is there any way people can contact you or perhaps there's there's a webinar coming up for Somerset for groups um any thoughts on that yes can... absolutely so I I've um I've delivered several talks on um numerous talks on on menopause and HRT over the years and I've um I teach doctors, so I, I deliver a talk that teaches doctors about management of menopause. I've also delivered quite a few sessions on staff well-being at Yeovil Hospital and also at the CCG. And in fact, Andrew, I was really excited that two weeks ago I delivered my first patient webinar on menopause and HRT. We had about 40 people attending 40 patients and it was an excellent way to be able to share detailed information with a a large group of people in one go and also for those people to gain support from each other by sharing their experiences so yes absolutely that my next patient webinar is on the cards I'm very excited to say and I'd be happy to share with um, you the details of that so you can share with the listeners We'll put it in the programme notes on the website. Thank you very much. Um, one of our last questions I had was, um, so I'm speaking as a, as, a, as a male, and of course it's sometimes well known that some of us males don't have full insight. Is there any advice to, to, to male partners or to somebody living with somebody who's going through menopausal or, or perimenopausal symptoms that you might suggest? Gently and diplomatically, please. (laughs) Diplomatically and calmly. Yes, absolutely. You know, I I always say, Andrew, that menopause does not affect 50% of the population. It affects pretty much 100% of the population because it affects the women going through it, but it also affects their other half, their family, their children, you know, we all need to be aware of it. So absolutely, this uh, we, we definitely need to fly the flag of the menopause, destigmatize it, get the information out there. And I think from a, from a man's perspective, um, I, I married myself, is I think, you know, making sure that the men in our lives are as educated and aware about this topic and all of those symptoms and all of the ways in which we can support women going through these symptoms. We need to educate our men as much as we educate our women so that we are all better informed. Um, that's really helpful. And of course, we've, we've given us a, a stereotypical male-female relationship there in some ways, but actually, um, you don't have to be married to somebody of, the, of, of an opposite gender. We can have same-sex marriages. And so it's important to remember that actually... It's all people need to understand this. It is. Um, And it's also, as I say, I I had a very interesting, I was in a meeting recently, Andrew, and there were six women and one man in this meeting. And I mentioned that I had my patient, I'd done my patient webinar. and, And I said, oh, it's a shame you all missed it. I will be doing another one. And he said to me, well, I don't need to go. And I said, oh, why is that? He said, well, well, I don't have a wife. And I said, well, but that's irrelevant. I said, I am this this gentleman, um, I don't even know if he has a, a female partner, a male partner, that's irrelevant. The point being, he's working closely with six women <laughs> who are at the age of perimenopause. <laughs> so I said, actually, you do need to know about this, if only for your professional side of your life. So quite possibly as important as information governance and fire safety training. Absolutely, definitely, definitely. We have in the past, Andrew, we have lost, as a society, we have lost a lot of senior women in senior positions because of the 
all the myriad of symptoms we've described and that crisis of confidence and how many work days are lost due to symptoms of menopause. Tremendous. And a lot of women have actually stepped away from senior positions that have been worked so hard for their career all their lives. Where in the, with the right support in the workplace, these women could have continued to flourish. So the take-home um, message is, there is something called the menopause. It's not just at the point where the men, where the periods finish. It can last years. It's got psychological symptoms. We can feel that we're going mad. It's very treatable and it needs identifying and we need to ask for help. Absolutely. Definitely. Thank you very much for joining us and for covering a really important topic. Thank you very much, Catherine. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast hosted by Dr. Andrew Tresider and Dr. Peter Bagshaw. The show was created by David Seeley and was produced by Rob Hunt's Music on behalf of the Somerset Clinical Commissioning Group.